Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Deeper Still, a podcast where we carve out space for meaningful conversation about God and life as we seek to pay attention to the ways he calls us to go deeper still in relationship with him and with one another. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I have the joy of being the host of this podcast. And as always, my friends, I'm so glad you're joining us today. Well, we're going to cover a lot of ground on this episode today, and so I'm just going to jump right to it. I am so excited to welcome to the studio my colleague and my friend, Sherry Adams. For those of you who call Christ Church home, which is the local church where I serve on staff and we record this podcast, Sherry will be a familiar voice. She has served on the staff here at Christ Church for 24 years. 20 of those 24 have been as part of our leadership team. She's worn a variety of hats, but most recently has served as our Executive Director of Stewardship and Generosity, and she now serves as a generosity strategist for Generis, an amazing organization who helps develop thriving cultures of generosity in churches and nonprofits across the country. While Sherry and I do take some time to talk about our passion for the local church and the importance of cultivating generosity in our own lives, we just couldn't help ourselves. We both get very excited about that. That's not why I invited Sherry on the podcast today. Sherry has been through quite a journey over the last couple of years. It's a journey that includes going through the process of donating a kidney to her brother only to find out at the last minute she would not be able to. It's a journey that includes a breast cancer diagnosis, a double mastectomy, and a lot of questions about why God was unfolding his plan the way he was. In the midst of all of it, Sherry saw God's grace and his goodness in ways she didn't expect. And she admits that it was hard, but ultimately it deepened her relationship with him and she would not trade that for anything. I'm so proud of her for sharing her story today. It is a story filled with vulnerability, with honesty, with wisdom, and it's one that I hope will bring you some encouragement today. So friends, whatever you're doing, wherever you find yourself, saddle up, settle in, and listen in as Sherry and I go deeper still. Well, Sherry, welcome to Deeper Still. It is so good to have you here today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, and thank you to this community for being willing to listen and hear my story. Mm. I hope it uh, can impact and influence um, someone maybe who's listening today. Well, I have no doubt it will, and I, I love that uh, you come here today as a familiar voice to many people who are part of our local church where we record this podcast. Uh, it's been a big part of your story, so there are a lot of people listening who will hear your voice right now and just be so thrilled to hear from you, and we are also, uh, we'll have people who don't know you, and, and they don't know your story, and we'll just be listening and tuning in today because um, they want to hear what you have to say, and this story will resonate with them in some way. So I just want to thank you in advance for being willing to kind of put yourself out there and share something that I know is pretty personal and pretty vulnerable to you, um, but also is the way I think sometimes God uses our stories best. Absolutely. I hope God is glorified through it. Mm, I love that. Well, um, Sherry, like I said, you do have a powerful story and I want to dive into, we're kind of going to dive into the deep end pretty soon into this podcast, maybe sooner than I usually do with most of my guests. (laughs) So just be ready. Um, But I think one of the things about your story that I think many will resonate with is um, the way that your journey began. You have been raised in the church. Your faith has been such a central part of who you are, of your life, of your family's life. And then along the journey, kind of life, um, life unexpected. It's what happens. You know, we're going through a sermon series right now here at Christ Church um, called Wild, and it's a story through the book of Exodus. And we're watching all these wild things that happen to the people of God, sometimes in very unexpected ways. Um, and that's it. Kind of reminds me of your story a little bit. And so I, I was hoping we could just start by you sharing a little bit of your faith story. Um, what did that look like for you? How did you become a believer? What? How did faith shape your life from the time you were kind of a young girl and um, moving on into the years ahead where you have come on staff at this church and spent a lot of time in Christian ministry? 
Yeah, well, um, I grew up in this church. Uh, it was actually in the mid-70s that my family moved to the area, and my parents were looking for a good youth and children's ministry, right? That tends to be sort of the draw uh, for the church at that age. And so, um, you know, we had the typical pray before meals and those kinds of things. But I, you know, we were probably nominally um, uh, a Christian family, but uh, we kind of went through the motions. And uh, uh, I came to the children's ministry program and then got really involved in the youth program. And it was really um, in the youth ministry that I became a Christian. It was eighth grade. And um, I was asked by one of the, the people in the group, uh, hey, are you ready to uh, give your life to Christ? And I remember exactly where that happened. And so there began my journey of, um, of faith. And so uh, I went through high school, was really involved in the Koinonia Youth Program here, and um, and then went off to college and sort of as, as college kids do, sort of drifted a little bit away from the faith. But um, then uh, my husband and I eventually got married after college. And uh, it was really when we had our first child that we were brought back into the life of the church. And uh, we baptized her here. And um, my husband and I, I didn't mention earlier, but we got married here as well. And so uh, it's been a long trajectory in the life of the church. All three of our children um, were baptized here at Christ Church, and all three of them were very involved in the children and youth ministry. And, uh, you know, I have to say the local church has had such a, an influence, um, not only on my personal faith journey, but also um, on the uh, journey of our kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, shortly after uh, we had our second child, um, Dan Meyer came uh, and started as our senior pastor. And shortly after he arrived, he and I got to talking one day, and uh, he invited me to be on the staff of the church. And I, so <laughs> I have to just say, it's just so funny because Dan has been here for 27 years. He was on the podcast uh, at the beginning of September and kind of shared some of his journey. But it's wild to be sitting across from someone who was here before Dan was because it feels like Dan has always been here and there were right? people who have been involved in the church longer I'm more than of an antique here. <laughs> yep, I am. So, um, yeah, so we had a conversation and, and he and I began to dream about um, some ministries that might be possible. Possible. And so um, I began with what we called our workplace ministries and then um, stepped into a role as director of HR. And, now, you and were actually HR but ministry. You started our HR ministry, but you were an accountant before this, right? I, so I you was. actually. <laughs> While you know it's a wild journey into ministry, you never know. People listening, you never know what's going to draw you to ministry. But you were an accountant, so you were actually helping. Like you were using your skills as a volunteer. Yes. When you got tapped on the shoulder to exactly use those for the church. Yep. And so yeah, so I was an accountant with Price Waterhouse back in the day, and uh, and and but I had such a passion about bringing our faith into the workplace, Mm -hmm. and 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 seeing that the workplace was such a secular place, and so. Dan and I began a conversation and began to dream about what could a ministry look like for that. And so then that's what led into him inviting me to be on the staff. So that was back in 1999. So uh, this February, it'll be 25 years. That's amazing. Wow. That's a long time to be on like work anywhere, let alone (laughs) to be on staff at a local church. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long time. What has kept you connected to this place? What has kept you just, you know, you said you're so passionate about the local church, 25 years of working at one. A lot of times people go the opposite direction, (laughs) right? You hear that story too. What keeps you passionate about the local church? I think probably, well, one or two words, community and family. Um, this, This church has become like my second family. Um, not just in the workplace, because clearly my work colleagues have become a second family to me, but so has the congregation and the community of faith has become a second family to us and to me personally. And, you know, there are days, I'm, you know, you know, you're on staff, there are days that are really hard, and there have been seasons that have been really tough, and I've wanted to walk away because of it. And um, and every time I've thought about doing that, I thought I'd be walking away from my second family. Mm-hmm. And so um, this faith community has become so important in, in terms of um, the development of my own personal faith. I've been so challenged 
um, in ways that I never would have been had I not been on staff. But also our family has been so um, challenged in terms of our own individual faith journeys and um, and has been such a support and a resource for our marriage, for raising our kids. Um, and now, you know, my husband and I are um, empty nesters. And so what does that look like? You know, as, as we spend more and more time together again, mm-hmm. um, um, the church has um, been such a help in terms of the different seasons of our life. Um, and the joys as well as the challenges. Yeah, yeah, which we will see in a little bit has become, um, in the challenges, the church has also become a place that has come around you. And I know we'll get to that part of your story, but I do think that's such a beautiful part of being part of a local community is, you know, the relationships, the the imprint that people have on your family, your kids. We saw you baptize your granddaughter here. And yes. what did you say? It was five generations, four generations? Four generations were here on Mother's Day um, this past May. And what uh, I, having my parents there and uh, John and I and then um, my daughter and her husband and then our granddaughter, Addie, um, what a, a legacy of faith um, that was so... Um, that's so important for us to continue um, is to continue to cultivate that legacy of faith into the next generations. Yes, absolutely. Well, Sherry, you so you started out here as the HR director. Um, I didn't realize you were the first HR director here. That's pretty amazing because <laughs> what a culture we have now uh, of what you have built and what's been passed on to our current team of the culture, the staff culture that we have created here that um, it has been such a beautiful thing and that's standing on the shoulders mm. of, of what you have built. And I know I am so appreciative of that. Um, but now you then transition to a role of being the executive director of stewardship and generosity. Now you're serving us more in a consultant role. But I just have to ask because, you know, people, when people hear church and the word money in the same sentence, mm. They just get cringy. Like there is something about that, that the amount of people that I have heard um, across my lifetime being involved in ministry that say, you know, the church shouldn't talk about money or you can talk about other things, but uh -uh. um-uh. I wonder for you, as someone who has held the role you have, probably people hear that, stewardship and generosity, ooh, who would want that job? (laughs) And I know that's not how you feel. Yeah. Say a little bit more about that. Well, and I think early on in my role, um, I would feel as though I was walking down the hallway, you know, on a Sunday morning here at church, and and sometimes I wondered if people would see me and, and go running, right? <laughs> here comes the money lady, um, or she's going to start talking to me about money. And and what I want to tell people is, um, really, this is about discipleship. It's not about fundraising, but it's more about discipleship. And and I believe God knew that money was going to be one of the biggest challenges and the biggest idols in our lives. Um, And in fact, Scripture talks more about money and wealth and possessions. There's more stories than there is about prayer um, and um, many of the other topics that we would think, you know, have much more reference in the Bible. But Money and possessions and wealth is something that God knew we were going to wrestle with. And so um, I feel so passionate about helping people to really um, understand that this is about your relationship with God and that this is about discipleship and connecting um, with the Father. And in fact, um, if you look at Genesis 2.15, right at the very beginning of the Bible, it talks about um, that God made Adam a steward of, of the land that he gave him. He gave him the garden to tend and to take care of. And so right from the b- very beginning of Scripture, God calls us to be stewards. Um, and then there's many stories in the Bible that um, talk about giving, right, and, um, and references to um, the posture of our heart. I, I often like to say it's not what God wants from us, it's what he wants for us. Mm. And he wants to be in relationship with us in a deep way and oftentimes money and wealth get in the way of that. And so um, I just love the fact that I get to have a front row seat in watching God work in incredible ways when he calls us um, to be good stewards and to be generous with our lives. Mm. And when you see people, when those light bulbs start going off and you see the work that God does and the transformation, and that's been my own story too. I mean, we didn't, I didn't grow up with a concept of tithing or, and it's not because my family wasn't generous. It just wasn't what we did. And so when I got Eric and 
and I got married and, you know, started to lean into that. And at first I thought I was being so generous by throwing my extra change and that like, look at me yeah. and, and to see over <laughs> the years how God has just dealt with us in that way and, and um, how he's changed our own hearts and led us to rely on him more. It's like, I'm like, talk about money all day long. I mean, I do think, you know, you and I have talked yep. about that. I'm like, you know what, there's, there's no area in our lives that are, is off limits to God. And so why, why do we put this in a little box, especially like you said, when, it, when we know the hold that it has in yes. our lives. Yeah. And, and so much of our culture and society tells us what to do with our money and what money means. And it really is the, it, it really should be the local church that mm-hmm. should be helping us to understand from a biblical perspective, what does it mean to be good stewards? What does it mean to manage my money in a biblical way? And so um, I love the fact that I get an opportunity to be able to help um, foster that. And um, and like you said, just watching the joy um, and from the stories that have evolved because of people leaning in um, and surrendering that part of their life yeah, has yeah. been incredible. Mm. I'm taking a, I'm in seminary. I'm taking my last class right now, and it's the, it's called um, the theology of grace. And our professor has said over and over again that you know grace. It's not we're not learning about grace just to learn about grace. We're learning about grace because it leads us to a gracious God. Mm-hmm. And I think about that with generosity, right? We're not learning about generosity just to be more generous. That's great, but we learn about generosity because it leads us to a generous God. And absolutely, that is so good. I love that. <laughs> I, love I just that. I just glommed onto that this week, and I'm like, oh, this is good and really so good. It's good stuff. Yeah. Well, Sherry, we're not here today to talk about all this. You and I could, we actually both get passionate about giving and generosity. Um, We were passionate about the local church, so we could talk about this stuff all day long. Um, And I didn't want to miss the opportunity because you have spent so much time and invested so much into the journey that people are on and this church is on in terms of our generosity and stewardship. So I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss the opportunity to kind of get your expertise. You are welcome. (laughs) Dan might have, Dan might have had my head if I didn't ask you that question. (laughs) Kidding, kidding, just kidding. Um, But Sherry, we are here to talk about, uh, another part of a journey of transformation in your own life that stems from your deep faith, the journey that you just shared with us that you had been on and um, continue to be on. But in 2020, um, life started to come at you in an unexpected way, took a little bit of an unexpected turn. And we're not talking about the pandemic. (laughs) Uh, Yet other things happen in 2020. And in 2020, you found out um, some news about your brother that kicked off a series of events for you that are leading to what we are talking about today. And I'm wondering if you could just start with your brother, Gary, and what you learned about him and the decision you made and how that got us to where we are today. Yeah. So um, my brother was born with one kidney, and he didn't learn about that until a couple of years ago um, when he was having um, some you know issues, and so he went and had a scan, and they learned that he had been born with one kidney. But they had also figured out that an infection he had had begun to attack his kidney, and so he began the process of kidney failure, essentially. And so um, we learned as a family that eventually Gary was going to need a kidney transplant. And so early on in that journey, um, you know, I began to think about, um, you know, I'm his sibling. Siblings oftentimes are the best match. And being the director of stewardship and generosity, wow, you know, talk about a story of generosity. And so I began to think about and pray about um, what that might mean for me um, to, to donate a kidney to my brother. And so um, we went through a process of um, different evaluations for anyone that's gone through that. Um, They do psych evaluations and all sorts of things to make sure that you actually are ready um, to donate and and that you're not being, you know, coerced or um, forced, especially in family situations and things like that. And it's a pretty rigorous process. A very rigorous. It was over several months. And at the same time, our daughter um, was getting... uh, prepared to get married. And so we were doing wedding planning and all that um, on top of that. 
And so I waited until after they um, got married in um, September of 2021 um, to take the final step, and that was to go through um, an entire day of medical screening. Um, my, my brother had chosen Northwestern University to have his transplant, and so I spent 12 hours one day um, doing all sorts of scans and tests and blood work and everything just to confirm that I, in fact, was healthy enough to donate a kidney. And so I uh, went through that process. I came out of it, and they said, um, you, you are super healthy. I mean, you, you know, you're, everything is, is um, uh, you know, good markers for everything. You're a match. Um, so we began the process of talking about a potential date for a kidney transplant. Uh, so we were looking at January of 2022. And so um, the last thing that I needed to do, you have to have a couple of things that are updated, a colonoscopy, um, and one of the things was making sure my mammogram was updated. And so I do that every year, faithfully, in November of every year. And so I just had that last thing to do was um, just have my annual mammogram. And so um, I booked my appointment um, and went uh, in and just like I always do. Uh, and, uh, and then got called back and which wasn't unusual. I've been called back once or twice. And, um, so I actually went during lunch hour while I was at work here. And I remember sitting, um, at this window waiting for them to basically say, okay, everything's fine. You can go home. And I was looking over across the way at the Whole Foods, thinking about what kind of lunch I was going to pick up. And, uh, and then someone came in and said, um, the radiologist would like to speak with you. And that long walk down that hallway, I'll never forget. It was almost like a surreal, um, because I'm thinking, this has never happened to me before. I've never been brought back to talk to a radiologist. So long story short, um, they basically said it can be one of three things. It can be abnormal cells. It can be just nothing like microcalcifications, or it could be um, the beginning stages of breast cancer. Hearing those words, even, um, there's none in our family. We have no history of breast cancer in our family. And so um, I just remember just kind of frozen sitting there listening to them talk about this. So I went underwent a um, biopsy um, for them to check to see what, in fact, um, was going on. And, um, and I'll never forget, on December 5th um, in the afternoon, I received a phone call, uh, and they had told me that, in fact, it was breast cancer. Mm. And um, I remember um, getting that call and, um, and, and like, the world stopped. Um, just hearing that word cancer. I didn't think in my lifetime I would ever hear that, especially after having just gone through so much testing and being told how healthy I was. Um, and the first thing I thought about was, what am I going to tell my kids? Mm. How am I going to tell my kids this? And then the second thing I thought about was, what does this mean for my brother? Um, and so uh, those were the two hardest phone calls to make were to my kids and then to my brother. Because I was told that because I had cancer, I was no longer eligible, at least for that time period, to donate. And so... Um, fast forward just a couple of weeks, I was, um, you, you know, when you're told you have cancer, like many, um, folks that get that news, you don't know where to start. You don't know what to say. You know, you don't know what's the next steps. Who should you go see? You know, what hospital should I go to? All those kinds of things. But I will tell you, God put people in my pathway over those next couple of weeks that made it so clear in terms of where I should go and what doctor to see. It was amazing within a very short period of time how God put people in my pathway um, that gave me that um, discernment and gave me that direction. Mm-hmm. And so um, originally I thought, oh, I'm just going to have, I'm, I'm just going to um, have a lumpectomy and, a, um, and, uh, and probably some radiation. And, um, and so when I went to meet with our, my breast surgeon for my first appointment, one of the first things out of his mouth was, well, um, you're not eligible for a lumpectomy because we'd have to take too much tissue, so you're going to have to have a mastectomy. So again, had to process that information, and um, it was a shock. 
you know, um, I, like I said, a month ago I was super healthy. Now a doctor is telling me I have to have a mastectomy. So um, I went and saw a plastic surgeon. Um, and meanwhile, I'm thinking, okay, well, um, you know, they're taking one breast. You know, maybe I should just do both. Um, and both the surgeon and plastic surgeon had um, reviewed some diagnostic mammogram on my other breast and said, um, actually, it looks fine. You know, there's no reason to take a, a healthy breast. We would recommend just having a single. Again, God brought multiple people in my path over a, a week or two period where these women kept saying, just get rid of both of them. Mm. Um, and so it became so clear to me um, that I was going to have a double mastectomy. So I chose to do that. And on January 31st of 2022, I underwent a five-hour double mastectomy with um, reconstruction. Wow. Let's pause right there, because I know that in some ways, that's almost the beginning of the story, um, because I know there was so much that you processed during this time. But I want to go back, because one of the things I think um, is really interesting about your story is not only did you have to process what was going to happen to you, but you mentioned your brother and making that phone call to tell your brother that this meant um, you most likely, and I'm assuming by this time you knew, that you would not be able to donate a kidney. And I would imagine, without presupposing too much on you, is that came with a flood of emotions because you are trying to process your own um, grief, your own loss, your own diagnosis, and at the same time probably feeling maybe guilty, maybe um, worried. I, I, I don't want to put words mm -hmm. in your mouth, but I'm just wondering, how did you hold the, all of those emotions in that space? How did you do that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think for me, the, um, the reality of the fact that I was not going to donate a kidney anymore um, sort of stripped me in some respects of sort of a purpose that I felt um, in terms of my relationship with my brother. Um, and I remember thinking, how is this possible? Like how, like I, I, I had many moments where I was angry at God because I thought, you've messed this up. Like, I don't understand this. Like you, you led me down this pathway, a journey I had been on it was so clear to me that you wanted me to do this for my brother. And then the door just shut. Yeah. And so I remember being angry. I remember feeling a sense of loss of purpose for, you know, helping my brother. I remember um, just um, not understanding why God would allow this to happen. I never believed God did this to me ever, but I, I wondered, like, what? why would God allow this to happen? Because I felt as though um, I was so convicted that this was God's plan and that this is what God wanted to do. And so um, I, my, my life verse is Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And I thought, man, God, you've messed this one up because I don't, I cannot see how good is going to come from this. Mm -hmm. And how did you, what did you do to reconcile that? And maybe that's still part of what you're processing that, because I don't want to tie this up with a neat tidy bow. I think so often we try to do that in our faith lives, but I love that you're sharing that because oftentimes when people go through things like that, especially when you're a believer and you've had the, the um, faith journey that you've had, with that, you feel like, I shouldn't be questioning God, but I am. I shouldn't be angry, but I am. I know better, but I can't help but how I feel. Like, just the flood of emotions. And I love that you're sharing this transparency that, like, that's okay. You know, we just, um, I, I mentioned earlier, we're going through the book of Exodus. And, and you know, there's a scripture in there that talks about how people tested God, that people tested God. And it's like, they tested God in a way that wasn't good because they were, they were questioning God in a way that ultimately was um, more about them than God. But in that, letting people know that it's okay to throw your doubts and your questions at God. It's okay to throw your anger at God. It's okay to ask God why. Like, 
God can receive that. He can handle that. And I think that when we do that, it gives us permission to, um, uh, maybe it begins us on a place where we can get through that. If we never, if we never ask the questions, right, then we're just going to be maybe stuck in that place. But I imagine mm-hmm. God uses that also to pull us closer. Absolutely. It, it, intimacy was the word mm-hmm. for me because I, I never communicated more to God than I did during that season. And, um, and so asking him the whys and, 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 I, I mean, I, I, I was talking to him all the time because I just didn't understand this. And so one of the things I think for me was the fact that um, I had been a Christian for so long, you know, 40 some year, 45 years I had been a Christian. And so I was now in, in the test of my life and I began to question my faith in terms of not my faith faith, but how deep my faith mm. was. You know, I thought, I'm a mature believer. I, I have a strong faith. And then this happened, and I started to think, oh, my gosh, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I'm not. I don't have as deep of a faith as I thought I did. And that's when Satan began to really try to mess with my mind and begin to... Um, challenge me in terms of my relationship and, and with God and in terms of um, being able to reconcile all of this and why this was happening and things like that. Another thing that really became clear to me was that um, I, I began to realize that um, my ability to donate a kidney to my brother was going to ultimately bring glory to me mm. rather than to God. Mm. And, um, and you know, look at, look at what Sherry did. Isn't that wonderful that she gave her kidney to her brother? And isn't that wonderful that she's so generous that she gave it, you know, gave a part of herself to her brother? And it became clear to me, you know, through the process and through my conversations with God and wrestling through with this that, it was like, no, Sherry, this is about glorifying me ultimately. And, you know, it's been a process and it didn't happen overnight. But that's one of the things that I do see Romans eight twenty eight coming back. And, and, and I do see how God has used my story um, and my brother's story in ways it never would have happened had it played out the way I thought it should mm. have. Mm. Well, you had uh, some of the notes that you sent me before this interview as we were preparing. You said um, that you really felt like you needed to share that God took what could have been a story about the good you have done and turned it into a story about the good that God does do. And you said rather than it being a story about my generosity, it became a story of God's generosity and his goodness. And I just think that's such a beautiful thing. And like you said, it, it took you a long time to get there. So I don't want to skip over the rest mm. of the process, but I just want to acknowledge that and name it. And you did it so beautifully that so often we think, even when we have good and pure motives, um, we realize that when we get to hard places that it exposes our motives in a way. And I think confessing them out loud, as you have done, uh, is healing for for, I know has been healing for your story, but I'm sure it's also healing for people listening that sometimes we just need to call it what it is yeah. <laughs> and say, wow, this was really a lot more about me than I thought it was. And that's a, that's a big realization. It, 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 that was hard. It mm-hmm. really was. Um, and, um, and also, um, it, it was something, too, in terms of um, I wouldn't say I'm naturally compassionate. Um, and by going through my journey, it also revealed to me that um, that I needed to become more compassionate with others mm-hmm. and, and be able to walk the journey with other people, um, particularly in difficult places. And so that, uh, that realization that it wasn't about me and about glorifying me and, you know, and, and, and shining the light on what I was doing, but it was also then um, helping me to walk a journey that would help me in turn become more compassionate about others that are facing 
um, challenging circumstances as well. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. And so often what happens when we go through hard things, there really is, we don't like it, but there's something to be said about the empathy and compassion and the grace that that causes us to have for other people. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah. So let's fast forward now, um, again, back to January 31st. And you said you underwent a five hour double mastectomy that you were not expecting. I mean, this was a lot of unexpected turns in a very short amount of time. So kind of um, start with the story at that point and move us forward. Um, What was that experience for you? Yeah, so I've never had a surgery in my life. Uh, So this was the first time I'd ever spent any time in a hospital, undergone any kind of surgery. Oh, Lord have mercy. That's a big one to undergo. It was. Wow. Um, But I will tell you, um, and kind of circling back to we were talking about the faith community, about Christ Church, about our church community, about family, um, I knew so many people were praying for me because that morning of my surgery, I should have been a mess. I should have been a nervous basket case. But instead, I had the peace and calm that only Christ can bring. And I, I, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I was so calm. Um, you know, Dan came and prayed with me that morning uh, with my husband and I. And I just remember just being so at peace about what was going to happen. And so um, I'm so grateful. Um, you know, if you don't have a church community or you don't have a circle of Christian brothers and sisters to surround you during these challenging times to pray for you, I, I just want to encourage you um, to find that place because that was such a lifesaver for me in terms of being able to, uh, uh, you know, uh, face um, something that I never thought I would ever have to face. But um, having the prayers of fellow believers mm-hmm. was so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say um, the first couple of days post-surgery were really hard. Um, and, um, and I, and I um, just remember continuing to just wonder like, you know, God, how are you going to weave this together in a way that I can understand is, is, is something good? And uh, so a couple days after my surgery, um, I received a phone call from my breast surgeon. So whenever you undergo surgery, they always send away your um, any body tissue um, for pathology. And so, um, so because I had a double mastectomy, they sent both away. And uh, he called me and he said, well, I got the pathology results. I just want to go over those with you. So um, he proceeded to tell me that... Um, I originally was diagnosed with what they call stage zero, uh, DCIS, um, in my left breast. That was my original diagnosis. Pathology report came back that I actually had stage one in my left breast and my right breast. It was microscopic, and it had not shown up in a mammogram yet. Mm. So had I not um, heeded what I felt was God's you know, prompting to have a double mastectomy, um, I'd probably be right back at another surgery in a couple of years from now when it eventually would show up. And so my breast surgeon said, I'm so glad that you listened to your gut. You know, he said, my gut, I knew exactly what it was. It was, it was God's mm-hmm. speaking to me. Um, and, uh, and so then he said, well, you, um, because it's stage one now, we have to send your your tissue away for testing to see if you would benefit from chemotherapy. And as soon as I heard that word, um, just emotions rose up in me because um, that word had never come, you know, into conversation before. So I waited a couple of days for that. Um, and um, meantime, um, we got a phone call. And um, it was my sister-in-law, and she was telling us that my brother had gone into complete kidney failure and had been hospitalized and was going to be undergoing a blood transfusion and that he would have to go on kidney dialysis. So this all happened within a two-week period. And I remember getting off that phone call, and I remember saying, God, this does not make any sense. 
I don't understand how you're going to weave this together for good. I really don't. I know that's my life verse, but you've really made a mess of this. Um, I can't see how my brother going into complete kidney failure is is something good that's going to come from that. And so I remember that was the heat, that was the height of my anger with God and my confusion. And then it began the cycle of then I was like, okay, Sherry, you're not that strong in your faith, are you? You know, that whole cycle of beginning to question, um, you know, my maturity of my faith and my depth of my faith. Um, and so um, I finally got some good news. Um, I, I kept feeling like for the last couple of months, it kept feeling like a shoe kept dropping. Every time I'd get a phone call or I'd see a doctor, there was more bad news, more bad news. So finally, I received a phone call um, that said that um, I would not benefit from chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was not going to have to undergo that, which I was grateful for. Um, uh, but it was also um, the, the beginning of a healing journey for me and in my relationship with, with the Lord. What, when you had those lies, when you had the voices that just said, maybe you're not as strong as you think, maybe your faith is not as grounded as you ever thought, what, what did you do to combat that? Did, did you tell people that? Did you have people speak into you? Did you just keep that between you and the Lord? Did you go to scripture? Did you have sleepless nights? What did that look like for you? Yeah. So a, a, a couple of things really. Um, one was like I was talking about earlier is just this, these conversations at night with God and just crying out to him and getting on my knees literally and praying and, and crying out to God. Other times it was, it was delving into scripture and just trying to get answers. Um, I also have a spiritual director. You and I share, um, that same spiritual director. I, I spent many times in conversation with her. I remember one one day I actually came here and asked to meet with Dan and said, Dan, I don't get this. I don't understand. And I remember he said, Sherry, yeah, God's really got me confused on this one, too. Mm -hmm. I remember him saying that. Um, and so I was I was um, forthright with the people in my circle that I was closest with. But I will tell you um, there was a part of me that withdrew um, because I was so almost disoriented with everything in, in, in my journey. And so if I saw people, you know, when you see people and they're like, how are you doing? And, you know, our natural response is, I'm fine. I'm good. Nothing in me could have said that, you know, I, I, it, it would have taken so much for me to put on that front. And yet I also wasn't prepared yet to just break down and and fall into a heap in front of somebody either and so part of it was I I, I kept to myself pretty um, you know pretty much kept a tight circle of people that knew that journey for me as I be as I worked through it and processed it um, and asked a lot of people for prayer mm-hmm yeah. Well, and I love that um, you gave yourself permission and space to do what you needed to do. It's going to look different for everyone when I think they're in those seasons. Mm -hmm. Everyone might need something a little different. Some people are going to need to pull back. Some people might need to press in. Yep. Um, I love that you had people who consistently pointed you to the truth. I think that's so important in those seasons when you can't believe for yourself, you know, when, you, when your faith, when you're struggling that you need those people who just continually remind you and point you to what is true yeah, and are willing to say, I don't have answers to this either, but I know God is good. I know God is with you. I know God is faithful. Um, it's really important, I think, um, to have people like that. Yeah, because I think I, I knew it in my head, yeah. right? I All that, right, from years and years of <laughs> growing in the faith. Like, I know I the right it. answer. Yeah. I know the right I know answer. It. It's so hard. But to believe it in my heart. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and it just was a series of so many, um, things that were happening that I just was like, God, when, when am I going to see the, the, the breakthrough, you know, people talk about breakthroughs and I, I kept waiting for that. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, and and as the journey continues, you had some good news and some not good news that would happen over the next couple months as you continued your journey. You said you had the good news that you didn't have to have chemotherapy. Um, that was good news. I know your recovery was, you know, it's probably something people don't talk about a lot. I learned from you and just learning the recovery from having a double mastectomy is difficult and um, probably more than what you realize. Um, during this time, your brother had some bad news and then also got some good news. And so you had a whole mix of things going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, as I was working through, you know, my own things, my brother was now in a, in a place of um, desperately needing a kidney. Um, so for those of you d- that don't know much about kidney donation, um, that you really want to be on um, dialysis the least amount of time. Um, before you have a transplant, that the longer you're on dialysis, the harder it is for the transplant to take. And so time was of the essence. And um, I knew that, you know, maybe someday down the road, years, you know, a couple years down the road, I would be um, eligible to donate again. Um, But in the near future, it was just not feasible. And so my brother is and sister-in-law are in a couple small group. They're at a community Christian church. They're at the Plainfield campus, um, and uh, they're in a couple small group. And so they shared the story about what had happened to me and had asked their, their small group to pray for me, and then also to be praying for my brother, too, who was now going to have to start all over again and find a kidney donor. And... Um, we didn't know this at the time, but um, at the end of the evening, um, a gal by the name of Nikki uh, was in a car ride on the way home from that couple's small group, and she turned to her husband in the car, and she said, honey, I'm going to donate my kidney to Gary. Mm-hmm. And her husband said, um, shouldn't we talk about this? Isn't this something we should have a conversation about? And she said, no, this is the Holy Spirit telling me I was prompted um, in that, you know, in our small group tonight, that I need to donate my kidney to Gary, and so uh, there began a process um, for Nikki. She had to go through everything that I underwent um, to be evaluated. She was a match, and so on September sixth of that same year, Nikki donated her kidney to my brother. Wow, wow! How did you feel? when you heard this news that she was going to do this so i um i actually reached out to her shortly after i heard that she was going to do this and um i was i was amazed but being in the world of generosity as soon as i had spoken to her and her response to me is what made it so clear and she said don't thank me. I'm thanking you for the opportunity to be able to do this. Wow. And I would not have understood that had I not really understood what generosity is about. But we were talking earlier about this is something God wants for us, not from us. And so for her, the joy that she was going to receive by being able to give this gift to my brother far exceeded the cost of what it would be for her to give that gift. Mm. And so when she said that to me, she said, no, I want to thank you because you created the opportunity for me to be able to give this gift to your brother. You know, it's so (laughs) unbelievable. I mean, there's so many, I just have goosebumps. There's so many unbelievable things about that. Um, and I know that the stories don't always have this good of an ending um, mm-hmm. for Nikki and your brother, especially. But it is a reminder that our our thought of what God's plans are for us or for other people are so much bigger than what we can imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and He has His His plan is so generous and so gracious, and He just there's so much more He wants to do in us, through us, but also that has nothing to do with us, yes. that, you know, the fact that, that you 
did not get to do what you wanted to do for your brother, but how it opened an opportunity for him to work in someone else's lives. I mean, that story repeats itself so often in our lives. And sometimes we get an opportunity to see that and sometimes we don't. But what a reminder, what a reminder of just the way that God is always at work in our lives, even when we can't see. And the bigger plan, because that's, I think, you know, me telling this story, I've told this story so many times to so many people and it points to the glory of God. Mm. And had it been me that gave that kidney, it probably would have been more about what a great thing Sherry did, right? Um, that she gave this gift to her brother. But instead, this story has 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 evolved into something that will glorify God, not me individually. Yeah. And the opportunities that I've had to be able to share these stories to some of my friends that are not believers and other, you know, people in my circles of influence in a way that my story had it gone the way I thought it should have gone would not have had the impact or the influence that this story that God wrote did. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so amazing. And so, um, we just can't make this stuff up, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, you can't plan this stuff out. You can't make this stuff up. And the fact that again, you're willing to point credit where credit is due, um, and just use your story to bring glory to God and hopefully bring encouragement to other people who might find themselves in a season of not understanding the plan. Like this is not the way things were supposed to go. Um, and again, I know that on this side of heaven, things don't always, we don't always see the kinds of clarity that, that you got, but I hope that people just, this is a reminder of the way God is at work and how his plan is so big. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, and I will say, I just want to say that, you know, um, it, it, it has been a work in process for me because, um, one of the things that God revealed to me through this through this journey was, um, I, I was I was working at a pace, running at a pace, doing all sorts of things, really busy, um, and I think it really took a um, a situation like this to catch my attention um, and to teach me some things in a way that I never would have been taught. One of those I talked about earlier was compassion. You know, when I'm so busy and I'm running so fast and so hard, oftentimes I run right past people and their stories. Mm -hmm. And so that experience that I had has taught me to be more compassionate, but also to be more present in my relationships that God puts in front of me. You know, my own family um, in relationships, my friends, but also just the people that God puts in my path that otherwise I probably would have seen as just a, you know, somebody getting in my way of yeah. getting something accomplished or, um, you know, delaying me to accomplish the things that I needed to get done in the day or whatever it might be. And so I, there were a lot of things that I needed to lo- learn, Sue Ann, um, and a lot of things that God needed to teach me. And I think probably was trying to teach me over four plus decades. Mm. And I think it was that situation that really was the precipitous to really helping me to understand what God wanted for me um, and to grow me in a way that I don't think I ever would have grown had it not been for that. And so you hear people say this, and I will tell you um, back, you know, early in the journey, I'm not sure I could have ever said I'm grateful that this happened because of what God did in and through me. But I I am on this side now being able to say as hard as it was, and I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but I wouldn't change it because of the way that God has been um, changing and growing and challenging me in my own journey. Mm-hmm. It is a good reminder that God has never done with us. He has never finished with us. We we have never been journeying with him long enough um, 
to stop learning and experiencing him in new ways about him challenging us about him growing our own faith deepening our relationship with him and it is pretty amazing that um, we never get to a place where we've arrived no nope. <laughs> you know? for better or for worse uh, we never I get sometimes to... think I'm going backwards <laughs> <laughs> I hate when that happens like God I thought I had this one figured out like I thought I was that yep. happens and it those Mm-mm. ugly things it's like oh you still have more work to do in me here yeah yeah which Sherry it does lead me to my last question which I'm so sad our time is over um, because there's so much more so many other questions I could be asking you and I I hope that people who know you who hear this story uh, or even people who are just listening in if they have questions if you know I know sometimes people feel alone out there and what Mm -hmm. they're going through and we want to remind them they're not alone and so if they're if you have questions if you need people to pray for you we are a local church that is what we do and um, for those of you listening who know sherry she is around i'm offering this sherry didn't say that (laughs) absolutely no i'm sure she would love to hear from you um also because i know you uh like you said you just compassion that leads you to be present with people who um, may find themselves it would be a privilege to walk mm -hmm. that journey and in fact um i'll just mention this too um, I am a part of um, a group that has recently been formed in this area called My Breast Cancer Sisters. Mm-hmm. And so um, the objective of this group is to um, come and walk alongside women who have recently been diagnosed with breast cancer. And so if there are anybody, if you're listening and you've recently been diagnosed or you know somebody that has been, um, I would uh, just find it a privilege to be able to walk the journey with you um, and just be a companion um, for somebody. And my hope too, is that God will use my story and my faith, um, as a way to, um, perhaps even bring somebody to Christ, um, you know, that maybe is lost from that diagnosis and, and, um, is really needing to find a relationship with Christ. So just want to put a plug in for that too. Thank you. That's awesome. Well, Sherry, final question. It's my deeper still question that I ask everybody that comes on the show. Um, You've shared a lot. You've shared a lot of deep things. I appreciate that. But we were talking about how we are still a work in progress. And so I'm wondering as you sit here today, even as you're on uh, the other side, uh, if you will, of this piece of your journey, I should say, um, how is God continuing to work on you? How is he calling you to go deeper still in the midst of your everyday life right now? Hmm. It's such a good question. And I wish I could have a really pretty answer and something that just sounds really inspiring. Um, But I think for me, the biggest thing is um, really being able to be present with the Lord in a way that I was before. And so I don't want what I had before that experience, right? I don't wish that experience, but I I crave that intimacy that that experience created for me with the Father. And um, for those of you who know about the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 3, and Enneagram 3s have a hard time with our feelings. And so um, that that intimacy and that connection that I had with the Lord, that's what I'm yearning for and yearning for it in the everyday, not in just the crises of my life, but um, that's something that I'm really working on is trying to create the spaces for me to have that intimacy with the Lord um, in the everyday situations of my life. And some of that is, you know, I take walks and just try to be in the beauty of God's creation. Um, Other places, it's in my scripture, in my devotional time in the morning, and and probably most significantly is my prayer life. And really, instead of just having a one-way conversation um, and telling God all the things that I need and, and the situations that I have, but really trying to be present and trying to hear from the Lord because... He does speak, and I saw how he spoke to me in such significant ways, and now I yearn for that in that in the everyday mm. moments of my life. Mm. 
Well, Sherry, may that be true for you. May it be true for me. May it be true for all those that are listening. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for sharing your story. And thank you for um, just pointing us back to a present and good and faithful and generous God. I so appreciate you. So thanks for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Well, friends, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you have found some encouragement in this conversation. I hope you've been reminded that God is always at work in the lives of his people. Do not lose sight of that. No matter what you might be going through today, take courage and that God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he is always working for our good and to his glory. If you're interested in learning more about the breast cancer support group that Sherry mentioned, you can go to mybreastcancersisters.org, and I'm sure there is a group of people there who would be more than happy to receive you today. As always, be sure to follow Deeper Still on your favorite podcast platform, leave a review, share with a friend. We are always trying to get the word out about this podcast, and so I would appreciate that today. We'll be back in two weeks with author and Fuller Seminary professor Steve Argue talking about how to reach young adults. Anyone out there have or love a group of people that are in their 20s and 30s and wondering how we can be more effective at reaching them with the gospel? Well, that is going to be our conversation next time. So be sure to come back. We would love to have you again. Until then, pay attention to how God is calling you to go deeper still and go in his grace. Oh, 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 oh,